Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. Well, good morning, gang, and welcome to New Southern Garden. Of course, I'm your gardening pal, Nathan Wilson, and I'm so glad you decided to join us. Boy, what a strange week we've had. It's been a marvelous week, really. The weather's been nice, but it has gotten cooler, has it not? So, if you're here somewhere in the northeast Georgia area, you may have experienced some cold temperatures, not just chilly, but downright cold this week. And boy, I really wished that I, I could have talked to you a little bit last week. I wish I would have thought about it. I was just too distracted by other things. But I would like to have talked to you about preparing your landscape for the first frost. And I don't know if you got a frost. I'm not so sure we did, but I'm sure the higher you climb in altitude, up throughout the mountains, there are plenty of folks who did have a real frost. So, of course, historically, the USDA Hardiness Zone 7, which is where many of us here in the northeast Georgia fall. Some are now falling into eight, uh, but there are some pockets of sixes and whatnot. Well, the USDA Hardiness Zone 7, its historic average first frost was October 15th. And so maybe for parts of the state that, that that average was about right right on. Just about the 17th, 18th, or 19th uh, of this past week, you may have woken up to some really cold weather. But if not, if nothing in your landscape was damaged by the weather we had, then I think I will talk a bit today about preparing your your landscape for that first frost i apologize if i didn't get this in timely enough for for some folks who are listening to the program but but maybe if you've not had a first frost yet you didn't have one this week maybe you can uh take some of these pointers this year and then of course uh next year we'll all be prepared <laughs> so when it comes to a frost there are plenty of plants that can be damaged, plenty of plants that can respond to that in a way that you and I may not enjoy or love because that first uh, frost will, will originally, or initially, not originally, but initially, it will uh, zap, freeze out, uh, open flower petals first. And then it can do damage to leaves to stems, and in some plants to the roots. But that first frost is going to take down a lot of plants like tomato plants and pepper plants. These, of course, are warm season vegetables. They love, they love the warm, but they do not handle freezing at all. So frosty leaves 
can lead to desiccation. And that just signals at the end of the summer vegetable garden. Uh, it, the, the, the beginning of the end. It's the beginning of the end of the summer vegetable garden. We've got to transition into other things like cabbages and kales and collards that can really handle the cold. But then, of course, in the, the uh, ornamental beds where you have planted summer annuals, you know, your petunias were looking awesome all the way through, or your begonias were looking awesome. And then one night when the frost happens, you wake up the next morning and those poor summer annuals are just wilted and they've been frostbitten. And really it's more than a bite (laughs) because the frost takes those plants down uh, dramatically. But when we talk about this, this USDA hardiness zone seven, the word hardiness, the word hardy, Uh, We need to explain what that means. A lot of times, folks will use the word hardy and refer to a plant being hardy because it's really a tough plant. It can be thrown out in the landscape, doesn't need attention, doesn't need pruning, doesn't need fertilizing. It's just a tough plant. And hardy sort of brings some ideas about a plant being really tough. But in horticulture... In the study of horticulture, when we say a plant is hardy, we don't necessarily mean that it's tough in every sense of the word. We mean that a hardy plant can handle our winter weather in our climate, in our zone. So in other words, hydrangeas are completely hardy. They can handle our coldest temperatures here in hardiness zone 7, hardiness zone 8, hardiness zone 6. They are completely hardy. Now, the other word, the opposite of hardy is tender. So begonias are tender annuals. Begonias do not handle our winters one iota, one bit. Whenever the frost comes, whenever those cold temperatures come, They get zapped out, and they are tender, tender. So tender plants are plants that do not handle our winters at all. Hardy plants are plants that can make it through our winter. Nothing. You may have some damage here and there. Some stems may dry out or freeze out on the tips, uh, or maybe, you know, um, late in the, the, the winter when we sort of have a couple of days of warm weather and things start growing, and then it freezes again. You know, that's just really uh, insufficient. Not insufficient. What's the word? That's just superficial damage. Plants that can make it through the winter are hardy. So hydrangeas, gardenias, uh, oak trees, maple trees, all of these plants are hardy. Coneflowers and black-eyed Susans on the perennial realm, they can handle very cold temperatures and they don't have any damage over winter. So with that being said, now that we know our hardy plants from our tender plants, when we're trying to protect certain plants from that first frost, which maybe some of us have already experienced this past week and some yet to come. But whenever we're preparing for that first frost, we are definitely, if you want to save your begonias for another week or two, (laughs) you know, a first frost may come in on a Monday and then 
two Mondays later, uh, it, it may be beautiful weather. And then by the time we get into November, we're back in the cold cold temperature. So, you know, if you want to save begonias or if you want to save your tomato plants through that first frost, trying the best you can to protect them. There are some things you can do to prolong their life. But again, folks, for tender plants or, as we've just learned, plants that cannot make it through our winter weather, for tender plants, it's really just uh, salvaging a little bit of that plant for a few more days, maybe a couple of weeks. Because once we get down into real winter weather, of course, those plants will be long gone. So one of the things we can do for some of these tender plants as we go into uh, the first frost is before the first frost, that evening before it gets really cold for the first time, you can use some kind of uh, cloth, um, maybe tarp, uh, some kind of material, plastic will work, that you drape over your plant. And so you are trying to cover the leaves, yes, but more importantly, when we're using this fashion of draping the plant, we have to make sure that for this draping and covering of a plant to even work, we have to essentially trap the ground heat, heat that is radiating from the ground all night long. We're trying to trap that under that blanket, under that cloth, under the tarp, under the plastic, whatever we're using, and create this zone of warmer weather under the tent, if you will. So just taking that tarp or cloth or blanket and throwing it over the top, at, if you don't seal it well with the ground, then the wind will be able to pass underneath the blanket, it will be able to blow the ground heat away from your tomato plant or your patch of begonias. So make sure that when you're draping plants to try and protect them from the first frost or even a last frost uh, as we go into late part of winter, early part of spring, just be sure that you have draped the plant completely and the bottom of your fabric actually touches and seals, creates a nice seal with the ground, brings some stones uh, to lay on top to make a nice seal, bring some rocks, some uh, uh, bricks, some pots, whatever you've got that's heavy to hold that tarp or blanket down on the ground. That will trap the ground heat. That is the only way that works well. Now for plants uh, that that, that might just need a little protection over the winter um, as far as their root system goes. You can mulch well before the frosty days come. So be sure to freshen up those sort of tender rooted plants, plants that uh, certain bulbs like canna lilies. Uh, canna lilies have been very tough plants here in the southeast for a long time. Uh, but if it's a cold really wet winter, uh, you may find that the canna lilies suffer. And some, some other things, um, I've talked about Mexican tubros. We're sort of on the 
most northern border for Mexican tuberose. Uh, those are very bulbous plants. Has a beautiful white blossom. Uh, some varieties are pink, but very fragrant. Very fragrant. It's a wonderful plant to keep in our landscapes, but they may need just a little bit of winter protection since they're a, a strong bulbous plant. So be sure if you you know, if you've got a list of the plants that are in your landscape, be sure to check them off before we go into winter to see if we are on the northernmost border for that plant. If zone 7 or, or zone uh, 6B, wherever you're gardening, if you are on the northernmost border for that plant, in other words, we're about as far north as you could plant, and maybe you're, pl- you're growing some things that really are suited for a zone below us, a warmer zone below us. Well, if that's the case, you surely would want to make sure that those plants are well mulched. And when we talk about mulch, we don't mean piling up around the stem, mounding up around the trunk. No, no, no. We've got to make sure when we're mulching plants, uh, if there's a trunk and a stem for this kind of plant, we want to keep the mulch two inches away from the trunk. We still need good airflow. But you can lay that mulching material two inches thick. If you're laying pine straw as your mulch, be sure to spread it four inches thick because it will settle once it's finally settled with a couple of rains and the wind uh, and and, uh, all of that happens. It will settle down to two inches. So the idea is keep whatever mulching material you have two inches away from the base of the plant and also uh, keep it about two inches thick. A two-inch thick blanket is all you really need. Now, if you're talking about canna lilies or bulbs like the Mexican tubros we just talked about, of course, those plants do not have stems. Those plants uh, will not have foliage above the ground over winter, so we can lay, we can lay that out across the top of that planting bed two inches thick and not worry about crowding out any kind of trunk or branch over winter because they are very herbaceous and after the first freeze or first frost those leaves those leaves will definitely start dropping and uh, you can sort of clean them up and and mulch over that no problem at all so those are some things that you can do uh, for plants that you're just trying to save a save for a few weeks, like a tomato plant. I know a lady had, had called into the nursery and uh, this past week, and she said, oh, I really have some nice tomatoes. Uh, there, there's a few that are just on the verge of ripening. Can I save them a few days, get them through this cold spell? I said, well, maybe, maybe not. Go ahead and pick the tomatoes that are ripe. Um, we don't want the tomatoes to freeze because they can have damage, but we did encourage her to drape her plant with a blanket that touches the ground And I hope to hear back from her and see if they were able to make it. When we get back, we're going to talk about some more gardening details that are timely for this time of year. Hang on tight. Hey gang, do you sometimes feel like you are riding a lonely trail while gardening, all alone with no one to join in the fun? Well, join the new Southern Garden community today and find peace of mind by sharing your experiences, whether they be poor ones or successful ones. New Southern Garden is on Facebook and Instagram, so I'd love for you to friend, follow, like, share whatever it is we're doing these days. Also, you can check out our website at NewSouthernGarden.com. 
where you can not only find every episode of the show ever, but you can also send us a question via our Contact Us page. It's never fun gardening alone, so get social with the new Southern Garden family and let's grow well. If you garden anywhere near me within a few, I don't know, maybe 50 to 100 miles, you may have had some nice chilly weather this past week. And it really wasn't just chilly, it was downright cold. I know that uh, I just love the change in the weather. People will ask me, what's your favorite time of year? What's your favorite season? And you know, there's something about spring really excites me when it comes to plants and gardening and all that and and there's something about summer because you see a new variety of plants uh coming into bloom that you rarely see um other parts of the year and then of course when fall comes uh it's getting cooler we've been suffering in the heat we've been suffering from uh all of the dry weather this year and then of course winter comes and there's not a leaf on a tree out there and there's a few leaves on the evergreen plants and uh, not much is blooming, but of course, camellias are blooming certain times of the winter. And then there are the uh, the hellebores that start, the Lenten roses. There's the winter daphne, which is wonderfully fragrant plant and, and evergreenly gorgeous. Uh, and then there are uh, the edgewarthia, the paper bush, the Chinese paper bush, if you will, with its beautiful uh clusters of of yellow bell-shaped flowers, tubular flowers, I should say. So there are so many things. I just love the change. I love the change. I, I love the fact that here in our part of the world, we have a change. Now, we don't always stay hot. We don't really get very cold, but we still have a winter. We still have a fall. Sometimes spring quickly becomes turns from winter into summer, and we don't have much time to enjoy that spring weather before it gets hot. But that's the beauty of living in this part of, uh, of the world, of the United States, of the Southeast, is we have distinct seasons. You go down to very South Florida, it's just warm all the time. It's beautiful. It's nice. Uh, but up here, uh, just several hours north of <laughs> southern Florida, here we have this changing of the weather. But I would say, I guess what I'm getting at, is that my favorite time of the year, if I had to pick one, is this fall season, this change. This past week was just wonderful, where you you come home and it's uh, uh it's fairly warm, but as the sun starts dropping, it gets chilly. Then you go to bed and you wake up in the morning and it's cold and you got to put on your jacket. And then by the time, you know, noon comes the next day, you're taking that jacket off. Just a wonderful change in the season. And we can definitely see these changes in our garden. So before the break, we were talking about preparing for the first frost of the year or of the season, I should say. You know, there are two major dates that we talk about all the time in gardening. We talk about the average first frost, and we talk about the average last frost. Sometimes that confuses folks because the last frost always comes first in the calendar year. But the first frost always comes last in the calendar year. So, historically, Zone 7's average 
first frost is October 15th. But then the average last frost, of course, is April 15th. And so you see that our gardening year usually starts April 15th and sort of ends October 15th, even though there's plenty to do uh, in the fall. Just keep in mind that that first frost is what's going to really change the way the garden works. It's going to kind of put some plants to sleep. That's when plants are going to start getting dormant. Uh, They're starting to drop their leaves I will mention that this is sort of a a weird time of year. It's kind of a struggle because uh, even though October is our driest month, we did not have much rain in September. So now these poor plants of ours are going in to the first frost with a little water. And the ideal situation would be that the plants are full of moisture, full of water, and their leaves will start changing colors, uh, and then, of course, senescing from the plant is what we say. They fall off of the plant, uh, and, and, and then they are going dormant and sort of storing that nutrients for the winter. But now here we are where many plants are suffering from dry weather. They're suffering from drought situations. So we might see the fall color on the leaves of our trees, our oaks and maples and stuff. It may be a little diminished. Some plants may skip the beautiful fall color and go straight to a crispy brown. So we've got to be careful and and just see and watch what what happens, what's going to uh, take place. Um, But This is the change. This is really the period of the year where we are going from active plants growing, plants actively growing, to plants essentially sleeping. Of course, root systems can still grow, which we talked about last week, which is why we can still plant. The ground will stay warm, but the air will stay cool, and plant root growth can still happen. So, We've been talking about the difference between tender plants and hardy plants. Hardy plants are those plants that can make it through the winter and not die. Tender plants are plants that cannot make it through our winter and die. (laughs) They will die. So depending on where you're gardening, where you're located, that will determine if a plant is hardy or if a plant is tender. So there are many plants that we grow up here just during the summer and then they get zapped by the cold come the first frost. But those same plants that get zapped by our frost may grow year-round in Miami, Florida because it's so warm. So those are very tropical plants, right? So many tropical plants tend to be tender up here. There are some plants that are fairly tropical, but they can handle our, our temperate climate. Gardenias are actually one of those plants. And so The difference between a tender plant and a hardiness plant is going to be determined by its location, where it's being grown. It's very relative to where you are growing that certain plant. But let's talk about plants in uh, specifically, like an individual plant. Within an individual plant, there are different degrees of hardiness. So usually, the most hardy portion of a plant is the root system which means that it's staying nice and warm underground. Uh, Our ground rarely freezes, but if it did, a root is usually going to be able to withstand the most winter chill than the rest of the plant. 
So after the root comes the stem. The stem is next in line. It is next hardy. And then after the stem, leaves. Leaves are going to be uh, a little more tender than a stem, but still hardy. The thing on, on a plant that is most tender, uh, and this is any plant, is the flower petal. An open flower bud, an open flower petal that gets uh, first frost on it, the flowers are going to go down. And, and think about uh, Japanese camellias. This is a great example because Japanese camellias bloom at this strange time of year. Uh, late part of winter, sometimes as early as January, but you really February and March. And those Japanese camellias will start blooming, opening their buds. And then if we have a frost overnight, you wake up and then with sometime the next day, those beautiful Japanese camellia flower buds have turned to a brown mush. Now, a flower bud that has not opened, a tight, uh, fat, round flower bud that's, that's not uh, cracking its petals open yet, that is actually quite hardy, which is how the Japanese camellias can set their flower buds now, continue to grow them until uh, we, we turn the first of the year and they actually can open and bloom. But that is probably the best example of showing how tender flower petals are. The leaves aren't damaged, the stems aren't damaged by those cold weather, and the root is not damaged by the cold weather. But unfortunately, flower and open flower bud is. So whenever we get through winter and we start to see uh, that kind, that kind of flowering on some of our winter flowers, maybe Edgewarthia and Daphne we've already mentioned, uh, hellebores usually barrel right through. But we may have to protect those camellia blooms uh, as we see more and more frosty nights. So as long as the bud is closed, your camellia bloom is safe. But once the petals are open, you got to protect it. When we get back, we'll wrap up our discussion on winter frost and talk about some other things for fall. Hang on tight. Stories of Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is on the air. Your host, Nathan Wilson, with Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, is excited about providing information every gardener and non-gardener, homeowner, and apartment dweller can use. From vegetables to containers and compost to pruning shears, Nathan Wilson's new Southern Garden Show is here for you. Now here's Nathan. All right, gang. Well, we are here for the second half of today's program. It's really been a, a quick show. It's just happening so fast, just like this fall weather we're having, or nearly wintry weather. We've had some nearly freezes. I know there are some areas around the north part of Georgia that were under some freeze this week. Had to be. Because we got very cold even where I am. And then, of course, we have uh, those areas... Of like a have microclimates. Microclimates are these wonderful uh, little patches of area. Maybe it's in a, a low bottom land or on one side of a mountain, but not the other side, where the weatherman will say, "In your city, it will be 36 degrees," but because you're in this microclimate, 
because you're gardening on the side of a mountain that other people aren't or down in the holler where other people aren't or maybe up high on a mountaintop wherever your microclimate hits you may be four or five degrees cooler so you may have frozen even though the folks in town did not freeze so today we have been talking about this change in the weather and what we can do sort of understanding how plants respond to cold weather what can happen to them and of course we've been talking about what we can do to maybe protect some of those things that we want to hang around a little bit longer before real winter gets here (laughs) so of course if something is in a container if something is in a pot you can always bring that in can put it under a crawl space usually is enough for for many plants just for mild touches of cool weather cold weather of course you can put it in a garage or bring it in the house with you a sunroom uh, really by this point in the game you should probably be bringing in most of your house plants because once we get down below the 55 degrees some house plants do not like that And we are definitely hitting into the 30s here lately. So, uh, of course, 40s for most of the time. But anything in a pot is easy to take care of because you can move it. But then for those things in the landscape we've already mentioned, maybe mulching them a little better than other things because the mulch is going to create a nice uh, warm soil. It's going to trap the heat during the day and warm that soil up. So that overnight, those plants' roots can sort of be uh, maintained at a constant temperature. An exposed soil is definitely going to stay cooler in the winter. But a mulch soil stays warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer when things are so hot. So it's a wonderful thing. It's sort of like, uh, golly, it's really sort of like nature's central heating and air system. It really is. It really does help moderate the temperature of that soil, which is really critical for many plants to to, to stay at a constant temperature uh, and not get too hot in the summer or too cold in the winter. So mulch is a wonderful way to protect certain plants, particularly those bulbous plants or very rooty plants, very tuberous plants, plants that recede under the ground for winter. They may need some protection. And then, of course, we can drape. Right, We can drape some things over our plants to give us that winter protection. But what is the key with that? We've already mentioned when you're draping cloth or when you're draping a blanket or a tarp or plastic over a plant to trap the ground heat, it has to make a seal with the ground. So you've got to make sure your tarp is long enough or your blanket is wide enough to stretch over the plant and actually touch the ground below so that that material can trap the heat and keep it around the stems and the leaves and the flower buds of that plant you're trying to protect. So uh, those are some of the critical things. Now, there's this strange thing that, in my opinion, doesn't have a lot of um, applications in the landscape most home uh, most home landscapes but it is very true that in the later part of winter if we have a very late frost and say apple trees and pear trees and peach trees and blueberry bushes if those have already started to bloom but we are sort of left with this 
last bout of cold weather, (laughs) which happens a lot in our area, then you can use water. You can use irrigation to actually protect those flower buds that have already started to open. Now, most of the time, this application is really for commercial blueberry growers and commercial apple and peach growers. There are plenty around the state, and I've visited a lot of these farms, particularly when I was working for the State Department of Agriculture and the Georgia Grown Program. Uh, we had, I had the opportunity to meet a lot of great farmers. But there was a time where you, you could see some pictures. You can check it out online, probably some videos too, uh, through the Department of Agriculture. But there is this process of applying irrigation throughout the night on these plants that have already opened their flower buds. And that process of freezing actually releases heat and keeps the flower petals a little warmer than if they were just sitting in the air with no icy water around them. So yes, it is the strangest thing, and it seems sort of counterintuitive, but it only works at a certain uh, low temperature, right? It doesn't work at a very deep freeze that's going to be around for hours. But if you are going to have a freeze for a short time overnight, you can, in certain applications, uh, send water out through irrigation, let that water freeze around the flower buds, and as that water is freezing, it actually keeps things just enough degree warm enough, just a few degrees warm enough, that the flower bud is not damaged too bad. So, in my opinion, it's not really worth it in our homeowner landscapes because it is really scientific, and getting it just right at the right degrees of temperature uh, is going to be critical. Otherwise, you may be doing more damage than helping. So, with that being said, If we get through some freezes, particularly late in the year, uh, late in the winter, I should say, if we have some of those late freezes, let's be sure to use the trick of uh, just draping our blueberry bushes uh, with uh, some kind of blanket and sealing them to the ground. It seems to be uh, a lot easier and just less complicated. So I just thought I'd bring that to your attention. You can find some videos of that online, I'm sure, and some, some better explanations, too. Uh, but using irrigation is, is a way to help protect plants when it gets really frosty. Well, gang, that was really uh, sort of went to at length with that discussion. I just wanted to mention that this change in the weather is signaling to us uh, that plants are going dormant. And of course, that first frost is going to be critical, whether you've had yours yet or not. Um, uh, It's going to happen. It is going to happen, and we have a lot to look forward to uh, of planting and mulching and, yes, probably pulling some weeds all winter long. There are plenty of tasks to be done. But another topic that I'd like to talk about uh, today is, and I try to talk about this every year, maybe twice a year, just to continue to give you ideas and inspiration for uh, some creativity, some creativity. So this time of year, uh, we've got pansies going like crazy and violas blooming and coming to the nursery like crazy. Of course, uh, you can find me and these beautiful pansies at Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia throughout the week. Uh, But we've getting 
cabbages and kales of all different colors. Like the, some of my favorites are the pigeons, uh, uh, purple pigeon and white pigeon. They are just some beautiful foliage for these kales, and they look good all winter long. And then there are some perennials that look good all winter long. And so people get excited about creating a fall container, a planter, if you will. Now, you can make a fall planter or container out of about just a, out of about just anything. If the container you're looking at or the item you're looking at can hold soil, and you can have a couple of drain holes or some way for water to drain out of it, then it is a fine container. I have seen some beautiful dis- displays made out of old boots. An old boot that you don't wear anymore. Maybe there's already a hole in the bottom from where the sole has worn out. An old boot is a great container because it can hold soil. And of course, you can pop a couple of holes in the bottom of the sole of a boot or any kind of shoe, and water can drain. So there are plenty of things that you can use to get creative with. However, when it comes down to the planting, uh, most folks who are uh, doing their DIY containers at the nursery, they do ask for some assistance. They want to see what is the best way, what plants should I use, and what plants should I use together to create a stunning display. And of course, many of these folks have just been recently inspired by probably something they watched on home and garden television, or maybe they subscribe to some of the wonderful garden magazines like Southern Living and Garden Gate and Gardens Illustrated and all of these wonderful publications. And of course, right on the front this time of year, they're going to see a beautiful fall container. And so we try to to mimic and inspire uh, and and sort of uh, create this same look, something stunning. But of course, we can't find exactly the same plants that they used. And we want our own containers to to, to be personal too. We don't want them to just be a a Xerox copy of something we saw in a magazine. So um, I always like to give uh, three tips. There are three tips, uh, really it's six. Let's say that six tips, <laughs> but we've got two sets of three. So the first thing we need to look for to create these magazine-worthy, Southern Living uh, magazine-worthy fall planters is there are three things we're really looking for. The first is going to be color. Whenever we are doing anything in the landscape, Color is always number one. Color, no matter what the plant is, people who don't know plants, they may not be able to identify the plant in your container or in your landscape, but the first thing they anybody is going to notice is what is the color. They will see if it's bright yellow. They will see if it's a, a burnt orange. They will know if it's a cool blue or a fiery red. Because we are all attracted to color. As I've told you plenty of times before, I'll say it again. I've said it once. I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it again. That color is the life of the garden. It is the one thing that people will see from uh, the road going 60 miles an hour. They'll notice blotches of color. So color is the very first thing we want to think about. Now, when it comes to color, the best way to use it is to contrast your colors. So 
if you have a color wheel or if you can think back to high school art class, the color wheel has got basically six colors around the wheel. You've got the green, the blue, the purple, and the red, the yellow, the orange, right? Now, if you start with any one of those colors, let's say we pick purple. Let's start with purple. And if you draw a line directly across from uh, purple on the color wheel, you will see the color yellow. Now, that is what we call contrasting colors. So when you are making a combination and you're thinking about color, you want to use high contrast, yellow and purple, green and red, or blue and orange. Those combinations make the most contrast and that will give you the most impactful display but color is not the only thing when we get back i've got two more tips to help you build the best container you've ever had uh, this fall hang on tight hey gang it's nathan thanks so much for listening to the new southern garden podcast of course i love providing you with horticultural information to get you growing and growing well but sometimes you need more than just information you need plants so i'd love for you to join me at lanier nursery and gardens in flowery branch georgia where you can find me throughout the week but you can find more than just me of course <laughs> at lanier nursery and gardens you can browse through our wide selection of ornamental trees glorious shrubs and colorful perennials and annuals and i want to thank all our listeners who have already made the trek to lanier nursery it's been a pleasure to meet you and hear your gardening stories we've got a wonderful crew of folks who are just itching to help you grow your best garden ever. So check out LanierNurseryGardens.com for more information and be sure to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Now, let's get growing together. Give it a go! Alright gang, well this morning, of course, that's my Eden Rose button. My three-year-old daughter is encouraging us. <laughs> She's encouraging us to build the best fall containers and fall planters we've ever had. And folks, if, you know, at the nursery, Lanier Nursery and Gardens in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where you can find me throughout the week. Folks have been coming to the nursery for weeks now buying pansies and violas and snapdragons and certain perennials to help build their own container for fall. But, but if you haven't rushed out, don't worry, you've still got time. You pretty much have the rest of this month before supplies run out. That's the first thing that's going to go wrong, is if you don't get out sooner than later, supplies are just going to run out. And once the last pansy has been sold, that will be it until next, say, October. October 2023. So use this weekend to get out and build your own fall containers. With all that being said, before the break, we were talking about the first step that I give people uh, when they're building their fall planters is to pick a color. Pick your favorite color. Pick whatever uh, color you think uh, gives you the most impact. I always start with yellow or purple. And then, of course, we want to use a contrasting color. And you will know your contrasting colors because, as I said before, contrasting colors are across from each other on the color wheel. So yellow and purple, blue and orange, or red and green. 
Those are the most contrasting colors you can find. Now, it doesn't mean you can't use other things. You could use shades of blue. You could have dark blue or dark purple, uh, pale purple. You could have some kind of magenta, which is that purple red. You can make a monochromatic. You could have all yellows, but different shades of yellow. Neon yellow, uh, say popcorn yellow, butter yellow, and, and maybe a rich gold. You know, you could do different shades of pinks. Dark pink, light pink, pale pink, white. But there are plenty of combinations. But the contrasting colors is the top. Now, the other thing that we need to look for is the form or the shape of these plants. And if we're talking about building a container, it's really simple. There's really three things that we need to, to look for when it comes to the shape of plants. The first shape we need is what we call a thriller. And a thriller is something that climbs upward away from the pot, pointing towards the sky. A lot of times, some kind of upright grass can do this. Uh, in the fall, I like to use, uh, yes, some grasses, but also what I really like to use are snapdragons. Snapdragons are upright and tall, and they will have a flush of blooms right at the tips. So something upright and vertical is our thriller. Then we need something that fills the body of the container. We call that the filler. Now, of course, pansies can do that for you, but really you're going to look at some of those kind of shrubby bush-like things like the ornamental cabbages and ornamental kales. And then uh, you could use some perennial plants like the evergreen um, coral bells or heuchera. Those work very well. And there are some some grass-like carex. Uh, carex are, looks like grasses, but they're really in a, a different group of plants. Well, they have a, a great kind of bushy, and, and most of these carexes we use in the landscape are quite evergreen. So you can have a good selection of perennial plants that are evergreen to use in your planters. Ferns, if this is a shady site, you could use ferns as your filler or maybe your thriller. And then the last thing you need is some kind of spiller, right? Something that is another shape of a plant, something that spills over the edge of your pot. You've got your thriller, your filler, and your spiller. And your spiller could be some evergreen vine. Uh, well, yes, of course, English ivy. Just don't plant it in the ground. Only use English ivy in pots. So if it ever uh, becomes a problem, you can rip it out and throw it away. Uh, but then Asiatic jasmine. I love this because it's an evergreen plant uh, that has these very long vines and they just spill over the edge of the pot. They can stay in there for a long time if you can keep them trimmed back. And then, of course, there's something like wire, wire, uh, wire vine wire vine or Muhlenbergia, Muhlenbeckia, Muhlenbeckia. I think that's the botanical name. Anyhow, they have very fine little evergreen foliage and they too can spill over the edge of a pot. So you've got the shape of things. You've got the thriller, which is vertical and upright, the filler, which is sort of bushy and, and uh, round, and then you've got the spiller, which either lays flat and falls over the edge or literally spills and trails over the edge. Now, color and form or shapes of plants can really give you a great combination, but there's one more critical element, and that is called the texture the texture of your plant material. So when you're shopping for your uh, building your fall containers, when you're in the nurseries, when you're in the garden centers, be sure 
to look and think about the texture of plant material. Plant, plant texture is really that tactile or physical quality to the plant. Uh, it really comes down to two things. Does the plant have really big leaves or does the plant have small leaves? Plants that have big leaves, we say they have a coarse texture. So the heucheras or the coral bells have really big leaves. Pansies have big leaves and big petals, so they have a very coarse texture. But whenever we talk about things like ornamental grasses or the carex, like I've already mentioned, uh, ferns, all of these things have strap-like or thin or small leaves. And those small leaves, we say, are a fine texture. So we've got to contrast texture. We've already talked about contrasting color. We've talked about contrasting the shapes of plants. And the last thing for our container is along the way, we've got to pick out plants that have contrasting textures. Textures is one of those things that we rarely would think of. We may not even uh, initially even think that that would be a concern. Uh, Psychologically, though, when you put plants with big leaves smack dab right beside plants with little leaves, whether you're building a container, folks, or whether you are building a bed outside of your house, whenever you contrast texture, if anything, the person who is looking at it is going to psychologically say there is something beautiful about this. The main word, the main thing we're trying to do when we build these stunning Southern Living Style magazine containers, the main thing is contrast. Contrast your colors. Contrast the shapes of plants. We don't want all the plants in the pot to have the same shape to all be the same size, uh, to all sit all pretty just identically. No, we want to contrast the shapes of plants. And then, of course, we want to do something that we really don't think much about, which is contrast the textures of your plant material. Use plants with big leaves right beside plants with little leaves. Folks, if you follow these three things, if you contrast your colors, if you contrast your shapes of plant material and you contrast the textures which these plants have like i said whether you're planting in your landscape or whether you're planting on the porch you are going to have the most impactful most incredible planting plant combination you'll ever find look that's an entire design course (laughs) in three simple steps and less than half an hour well, gang, of course, I've had a great time with you here on WRWH. Get out. Try some things. Give it a go. Give gardening a go. Uh, y'all have a great weekend for WRWH and New Southern Garden. I'm Nathan Wilson, hoping you stay well and grow well. We'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for joining us for this edition of Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. If you have a comment about today's program, you can reach out to Nathan by sending an email to grow at LanierNurseryGardens.com. Also get more information at NewSouthernGarden.com. Join us next Saturday on Local News Radio 93.9 FM and AM 1350 for Nathan Wilson's New Southern Garden Show. 